There are approximately 40 million victims of human trafficking across the globe, with an estimated one in four victims being children. According to the Counter-Trafficking Data Collaborative, almost half of the identified cases of child trafficking begin with some family member involvement. These children often continue to go to school, to participate in everyday activities, even while being exploited by this trusted person at home. These might counter the image of kidnapping by stranger that is often conjured when the term child trafficking is discussed, but familial trafficking is the reality for many. It's difficult to think about these atrocities, but the good news is we can all play a role in protecting our community's children by understanding the realities of family trafficking and how to recognize it. Hello everyone, my name is Helen Hofer, and I'm the Freedom Drivers Project Director at Truckers Against Trafficking, or TAT, and you're listening to our podcast, Driving Freedom. My co-host today is Lexi Higgins, Program Specialist for TAT's Busting on the Lookout program. I was really glad that we could be co-hosts last session, where we were able to talk about conspiracy theories. We touched on a little bit of what Lexi does with TAT, but Lexi, can you give our audience a little more information about the work that you specifically do with TAT? Sure, yeah, it's great to be back on the podcast. So I work with TAT's Busing on the Lookout program, which works to educate and equip members of the bus industry to recognize and report human trafficking. And my work in particular is focused on school transportation. Because of this reality that we're discussing today, that many child victims of trafficking could be continuing to attend school during the day while they're being exploited outside of school hours. So school bus drivers and really any other adult in a child's life can play a role in interrupting these cases if they're educated and equipped to be able to do so. That's why we're really excited today to have survivor advocate and TAT training specialist Liz Williamson here with us also to discuss these realities and what we can all do to change it. Thank you so much for having me, Lexi and Helen. I'm glad to be here. As a survivor of familial trafficking, I can speak to how important this topic is, and it's especially important for people to understand that they can absolutely play a role to combat child trafficking. And Liz, we have to celebrate you are now full-time on TAT staff. We've been working together for the last couple of years on and off, but are really glad to have you come over full-time on the TAT team itself. You'll be working with our Canadian partners, as well as continuing to train in the U.S. and Canada. Super excited to have you on the team and on this podcast today. So as we kick off this episode, Liz, can you tell our audience, what is familial trafficking? You know, Helen, I think it's a great question about what human trafficking in the context of familial is, because no one wants to think that a person close to you could betray a child's trust in that way. From my experience, my mom was my first trafficker, and aren't you supposed to be able to trust your mom? I know that for all the listeners that listen to this podcast, their mind is reeling from that reality. But unfortunately, that's a reality for many in the U.S. whose trusted caregiver, whether that's a parent, a grandparent, an aunt, or an uncle, betray their trust in such a vile way. And that we would think, like... When you think about who a trafficker is, right, I think if I know someone has kids, I feel like they're far less likely to want to traffic a child, right? But that just isn't the case. That doesn't necessarily exclude a class of people. You know, it really doesn't exclude a class of people. If anything, it makes us realize that predators come in all shapes and sizes, colors, income levels, and unfortunately, sometimes they're even moms and dads. It begs the question of why they do it, 
But for me, what it comes down to is that they're greedy and they want the money from that industry. Yeah, we talk about human trafficking being a crime of greed and power and control. And that can affect anyone. And as much as we would hope that some nurturing instincts would override that, that isn't always the case. But I do want to say this isn't to say, you know, distrust everyone, like everyone, you can't look at anyone in the eye and know that they're not harming kids or anything like that. But it is to know that to be aware of of what this can look like and not just automatically discount someone or a situation and dismiss a situation because it could be uh, in a within one family unit. And you know, Helen, I think that's exactly what the traffickers depend on because my mom was a nurse. She was trusting that other people would trust that one, she was my mom, but two, she had a job where no one would think twice. Of course she loves and cares for people, right? Yeah, so I think that's a really good point, Liz, and and I think it really illustrates why this type of trafficking, especially familial trafficking, can be so hard to identify and why it often goes overlooked. So, Liz, I would love to hear from you a little bit more in terms of if you have any examples of what someone might have noticed in your situation that could have been an indicator of what was going on at home and and what people might be wanting to pay attention to in that kind of a situation? You know, Lexi, I think that's a great question because we're always looking at these situations of what would I have done or what could I have done? And for me, because I went to school every day, I actually interacted with my bus driver more than anyone else. My teachers as well. They knew that I slept at lunchtime during school because that was the only time I could sleep uninterrupted because unfortunately my home wasn't a safe place. One of the things that the bus driver noticed off the bat was that I was clumsy and that I had a lot of bruises. If he had asked questions, he would know that those bruises and marks didn't come from me. If he had asked questions about how many uncles I had in my family and that they would meet me off the school bus, I would have told him that they weren't my uncles. Unfortunately, there was a lot of indicators right under someone's nose, but there was no language of what am I seeing and how do I talk about it? That's why these podcasts are so important because here you had a young girl who was malnourished, beaten, lonely, sad, withdrawn, and I didn't know how to talk about it and I didn't think that any adult was safe. Yeah, 100%. It's examples like that that really inspired Tat to create the Bussing on the Lookout program uh, to set out to get every school bus driver trained, right? Because not it's not just about recognizing those red flags, but also knowing what to do if something doesn't feel quite right. So maybe your bus driver or your teacher were noticing those signs, but they just weren't sure to how to process exactly what that meant and what actions they could take, what resources there were for them to be able to do something about it. And so school bus drivers can also be sharing those resources with other adults in that broader school ecosystem, you know, teachers, principals, administrators, guidance counselors, coaches, and they could really be serving as a gateway to creating schools as safe places for children and a protective space from human trafficking. Lexi, I mean, even just talking about kind of Bottle's mission, I just get so excited about that. I mean, imagine if every school bus driver really felt equipped and empowered to make that call and to identify that 
with the National Human Trafficking Hotline, with the National Abuse Hotline. I mean, there are a lot of great resources out there that people just aren't aware of. And so just letting them know that that's the reality, how much safer can uh, the kids on every school bus be because of that? And so, Lexi, what are some of those resources that parents can be accessing, uh, that schools and teachers can be accessing? Yeah, I mean, there's no shortage of organizations that are working in the space of schools and anti-trafficking work. I think there are a lot of really great organizations out there. There are a lot of local organizations. So I would encourage people to do some research about what is going on in their own hometown and in their own state. Uh, because the more local information that you have, I think the better. But there are also some really good national programs. I empathize. ECPAT USA, they do school outreach. And then another one that I really love is an organization called UNITAS. They also have a school curriculum, but they also do these really fun online, I mean, creative um, Instagram comics about online safety and sexploitation that are really geared toward equipping children with, you know, age appropriate information about how to keep themselves safe online and, and safe in the world and how to reach out for help if they think they need help. And those are just a handful. There are, there are a lot more that are doing really great work. Yeah, we could spend so much time talking about all the great resources out there. We have some information on our resources page. Obviously, we'll put that in the resource notes. Parenting Safe Children does a really great job talking about uh, how to talk with kids of all ages about body safety to be able to know, right, Liz, you mentioned like you felt like no adult was safe, that there was no language to even talk about what was happening to you. And kids need to be taught how to do that. They don't they won't just know unless it's ever taught. And so I really loved that resource as well. Liz, can you tell us a little bit more about what did a typical day for you look like? What was your experience? You know, Helen, I do want to say that, you know, school was my delightful eight hours of normal. Uh, you know, I really enjoyed and I thrived in it. And I think that many survivors do find a safe place if they can. And it becomes their safety zone where the abuse doesn't have to exist. You don't even have to think about it anymore. And instead, you can take all of your energy and focus and just be a kid for a few hours, just be a dancer, just be, you know, a piano player, whatever that outlet is. Well, I would go home from school and I would get changed. But unfortunately, the men that would meet me when I got off the bus, they would pick what I would wear and they would pick what we would do. And I try to say that very delicately because I don't... I know there's a gruesome picture that one should paint about trafficking, but past that, I um I don't need I don't need to help you imagine it. You're already imagining it for yourselves. And I am so grateful when people tell me I can't even imagine. Well, that's wonderful. But some of us can. And if you've ever had an unsafe situation happen to you, that pit that happens in your stomach, when you know whatever happens next, you're just going to have to deal with it. Unfortunately, that was my reality on a daily basis. I did love ballet. I loved normal things as a kid, so I try to always highlight that. I still went to ballet classes. I still interacted with what I would have considered normal kids, but I felt like I had the secret that no one else would understand. Unfortunately, I'd go to ballet classes, but my uncles would pick me up after ballet class. There was something weird that people should have picked up on when you think to yourself, 
okay, Susie may go to ballet class, but she wouldn't normally have five different men who are her uncles picking her up, right? You know, I think one of the big indicators that we have to watch for and train ourselves to watch, I didn't make eye contact. I rarely spoke unless spoken to. I was fearful and withdrawn. I didn't want to make eye contact with you, mostly because I was told that I wasn't allowed to. So I had an internal set of rules that I thought I had to follow. There's always something weird that doesn't feel right. And I strongly encourage people to trust their gut, trust their instinct. I'd rather someone be wrong and speak up than for someone to secretly be right and that child's situation doesn't change. I wish that neighbors had asked questions about cars that would come and go frequently. I wish that neighbors would ask questions. Just, I truly believe that it would have stood out in my story that I didn't talk very much and I wouldn't look at you. That always bugs me when I meet someone and I know that there's more to the story. Liz, can you share, how does your trafficking story end? How were you able to get out of that situation? You know, funny story about how trafficking ends. It never ends with a um, golden ticket and, you know, a fairy tale in that sense. It was a hard journey. Um, Unfortunately, my mom made those choices and it impacted my life throughout my childhood. At 18, I decided that I had had enough and that I couldn't handle it anymore because I knew she would never change. I knew that I had enough money for a one-way ticket and picked a college out of a giant magazine and said, there, that's it. I'll go there. Because again, school was my safe place. And, um, you know, I, I wish it had stopped sooner. I wish it had stopped. Well, I wish it had never started. But was I always willing to leave my family? That's the biggest thing that it always came back to is if I leave her, regardless of whether or not this is wrong, I won't have a family. That's a weighty question for any of us to confront. But I had enough courage and strength within me to where I said enough is enough. I don't want to be hurt anymore. I don't care if I'll be homeless. I was homeless. I don't care if I'll be hungry. I was hungry. It didn't matter. Living through that situation any longer, I'd rather be dead. But thankfully, um, you know, I had a lot of courage and determination, and it was a hard road. Um, But I am really proud to say that I've built a life that I'm proud of with people that love and respect me, and I'm finally able to use my story for something good. Liz, what is something you would like people to walk away with? after hearing your story today? You know, I think that the biggest takeaway that I'd like someone to have from my story is, yes, that it was horrific and horrible and overwhelming, but I did interact with people on a pretty daily basis, and their kindness is what I remember. When I finally decided to leave my trafficking situations behind, I met very kind people along the way. One of those people was a city bus driver, and his name was Paul. I was tired and hungry and scared out of my mind, and there was this giant rainstorm. I was chilled to the bone, and he pulled his bus up, and he said, do you need a ride? And I didn't have any money, didn't have anywhere to go, 
didn't really want to sleep with him, and I thought that's what he meant. But I got on the bus because I was cold. And I sat there, and he tried to make small talk with me, and I really didn't want to talk to him, and I didn't really care about him. Um, because I didn't trust men. I didn't trust anyone. And uh, he said, well, are you hungry? And I thought, well, that's a really weird way to, you know, get a conversation started. He's probably just going to have me sleep with him later. Like, what does it matter if I'm hungry? But this gentle giant said, I have a sandwich. My wife packed it. Do you want it? He treated me like a human being. If that's the only thing he ever's done, it's the most important thing he's ever done. It was the best and worst sandwich of my life. To this day, I do not like olives, but I ate that sandwich with olives. But he was kind. He saw me as a person. He didn't immediately think that he had to have every answer. He didn't think that he even knew the solution to whatever was ailing me. He just thought, oh, maybe she's hungry. Oh, she's wet from the rain. I should probably bring her on a heated bus. He just saw me as a human. And I think if that's one thing that trafficking stole from me, it was my humanity. Wow. Liz, what a powerful and beautiful story. Just the acknowledgement of this is another human being who maybe is hungry and experiences the same hunger pains and experiences the same cold that I do. So, Liz, what should someone do if they witness someone who might be in the same kind of situation that you were? You know, I encourage people who may witness something that they either know is trafficking or they just know is off, weird, wrong. It's okay to say, I have a suspicion that this child is being trafficked. Call the national hotline, share your information. They're able to do above and beyond what I could do as one person because they're so well connected to law enforcement and other child agencies. Um, if if this is a school bus driver that we're talking about, I know that there is a lot of work being done to have policies and procedures of do this, then do that when it comes to reporting abuse. But the biggest thing I would say is don't stay silent. Don't anticipate that someone else will call or that someone else already has called. Um, and I actually have had people from my childhood come back into my life now as an adult and say, all of this fits, all of this makes sense, and I wish I had done something. But that's the hope. That's what I love hearing. They wish they had done something, and now they know differently, and now they know better. Yeah, and that's what I was going to ask. Like, what, what was that like to have someone say that to you? You know, having someone say that to me in retrospect heals a deep part of my heart where I do always have that question of why did it have to go on as long as it did? Why was I invisible? Why did people not care? I don't know that I will ever on this earth get answers for some of those things. But I reconcile it with the fact that they recognize it now and now they'll do better. And I think that's tremendous because for whatever I have gone through, I don't want another human being even to have an hour of it. So that's what I love. I just love to tell people to focus on the positive and the here and the now that this doesn't have to happen again. Let's use my experience for something meaningful and worthwhile and worthy. It's an ugly story. Of course, it's an ugly story. But it can be used for so much good. And that gives me a lot of hope 
that, I mean, that just shows such strength, like that, that can be your response. And like, that is encouraging and empowering. And I'm just continuously amazed and really thankful um, that we get to work with that kind of power. So thank you. And that's a great note to end this episode on. This issue can sometimes feel so big and overwhelming that an individual might wonder how they could possibly make a difference. But I think it's so important to remember that just treating everyone you come across with kindness and respect can be life-changing for someone going through a hidden trial. Thank you so much, Liz, for sharing your story with us. And thank you to our listeners for joining us in learning more about this issue in an effort to be better equipped to combat human trafficking in your communities. To all of our professional school bus drivers out there who are taking on these efforts to educate yourselves and others, and to all of our industry members making that call, thank you for driving freedom.